Over the last um, several weeks, we've been in a series called The Journey, uh, and it's based on these booklets that are available to you out um, on the table as well. Those are free to you. Um, it's a booklet series that's actually meant for one-on-one discipleship. So as the Lord leads people into your life and you have the opportunity to maybe lead them to the Lord or disciple them in the Lord, those books are available to you. Um, If you've already got a system for how you disciple people, great. Um, But the Lord's command to us is go and make disciples. It actually isn't go and make disciples. It's as you go, make disciples. So as you live your life, your call as a follower of Christ is to make disciples of others. And so we wanted to put tools in your hand that will help you to do that. And so those are available in the back. If you want to go back through our podcast or through our videos on uh, Facebook or our YouTube channel, you can watch past sermons as we've gone through each of those booklets. And uh, this one We got through week two, or part two, and uh, part two is called The Gospel is All About Relationships. So we went through a three-part series where we talked about the tables of intimacy or our relationship with God. We talked about the table of communion where we sit with other believers in the body of Christ, and then the table of connection where we sit with people Uh, outside the body of Christ that are in our communities, whatever that looks like for us. Sometimes that's in our families. Sometimes that's just our neighbors or coworkers. And how to sit at those tables. The one question that I've I've, said every week that I want us to continue to ask is, how can I be more constant at these tables? How can I sit at the table of intimacy more? How can I sit at the table of communion more? How can I sit at the table of connection more? Uh, I don't think we're supposed to get up from these tables. I think we sit at them all of the time, and I think Jesus modeled that for us. And so last week, we took a step back, and I preached a sermon called Defining the Relationship. And we started talking about how to define these relationships that we have with people in the body of Christ, people in the community, uh, people even with the Lord. What does that look like? And we started talking about how we view Scripture. We believe that Scripture is authoritative, which means we believe it's the inspired Word of God, that the Holy Spirit inspired people to write the Scriptures, and we believe that the Scripture is this narrative from beginning to end that tells the story of who God is and how God designed His creation, like what God's purpose is for His creation from beginning to end. The, the Bible that we have in our hands is written by about 40 different people over a span of 1,600 years, and yet there's a continual thread that runs through all of it. And so we've been talking about how do we understand that book and apply it to our lives today. I reminded us last week that that's a communal book. There are 4,700 yous. The word you is found in the Bible 4,700 times, where it's plural. Plural. There's no way in English for us to know whether it's plural or singular. I mean, sometimes you can tell from the context, sometimes you can't. And I think the danger is, many times in our church world today, we look at the Bible as a personal book that God wrote to me. Totally is. And we neglect the communal aspect that this book is. We serve our personal Savior. Well, He's not just our personal Savior. He's the Lord of all. And sometimes when we start interpreting it as a personal thing, it's very easy to become selfish in how we live out our lives, where it's just me and my relationship with God, and I neglect the community of believers, the community that I live in, and I, I interpret it just through the lens of how it how it speaks to me, and I should be interpreting how it speaks to us. And so beginning to walk that out and understand that. And so today, I want to talk about God's will for my life. God's will for my life. I mean, this is the question that so many people ask. 
what is God's will for my life? And usually when we ask this question, we're talking about like what career choice or what job should I take or should I take this promotion or not take this pro- promotion? It's about who should I marry or what's, who should my spouse be or what church should I go to or should I go to a church? Maybe I should just be a part of all the churches or what activities should I participate in? What entertainment choices should I make? What purchase should I make? Should I buy this car or that car? Should I buy this house or that house? Should I live in this city or that city? And generally, that's how we talk about what is God's will for my life. Well, the funny thing is, Scripture really never speaks to that. Now, it never really tells us what God's will is for our individual lives. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit can direct our choices. Don't tune me out. Please listen to everything I say before you take something out of context and call me a heretic. Listen to how I put that into context. Because what I want to first do is look at how God, or how the Scripture actually speaks to God's will. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, when the Scripture talks about God's will, it's not about finding the right circumstance as much as it is living well in any circumstance. We tend to say, I want to know what God's will is, meaning I I want to make the right choice. And God's like, wherever you find yourself, I just want you to live well. I want you to flourish, and I want you to work for the flourishing of those around you. That's how the Scripture speaks of God's will. We tend to, in our Western American cultures, think about God's will in terms of what makes me happy. I mean, God wants me to be happy, right? Yeah, He wants you to be happy. Um, But happiness, I don't even know that that's the right question. Um, I'm not saying that God wants us to be miserable, but I don't know that what we understand as happiness is what God's looking for. God wants us to be holy. Holy. That word holy, I don't know what you think of when you hear it, but it just, it literally means to be set apart, to be unique. God is holy. He's totally set apart. He's totally unique. And he's like, I want you to be like me. God is just. He wants us to be just. God is good. He wants us to be good. God is kind. He wants us to be kind. God is love. He wants us to be love. He's merciful. He's pure. He wants us to be pure. He's generous. He wants us to be generous. Ephesians 5.1, this isn't on the screen, but the Apostle Paul says, imitate God in everything you do. That's what it means to be holy. And so often, we're focused so much on taking the right step, and we're afraid we're going to take the wrong step. And God's like, wherever you step, just live well. That's good, Pastor Tom. That's a great sermon. I'm glad you're preaching that today. So, like Romans chapter 12. Offer your bodies in, in, let me stop, go back. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. This is God's will. Offer your body to him as a living sacrifice. Make room for you, whatever you want to do. See, we, it's easy to sit in this room and say, whatever you want to do. And then the Holy Spirit prompts us today to be kind to someone that was unkind to us. Do we, are we, we going to do that? Are we going to imitate him? Because God was kind to you and I when we did not deserve it. And for us to act any other way is contrary to his will for our lives. And we're like, oh God, I just want to know who I'm supposed to marry, not like you know, how to be kind to people. And those things go hand in hand. He goes on to say, this is our act of worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and his perfect will. Um, Sometimes I get so frustrated at our English translations um, because this idea of perfect, we think that God has this perfect will. Um, There is no word perfect in like the Hebrew language for like the people the Bible was written to, there's no concept of perfect because perfect is this static place. It's this, this is perfect and it doesn't move. We can't really say, we can't really say God is perfect because there, if the moment you say God is perfect, it's like God is this like, boom, this being that you can totally wrap your mind around. You can't. 
The angels in heaven are always seeing God. I mean, it's not like he's changing, but he's always revealing himself in new ways. Like there's, God is not static. He is forever God. And there's just no way to even describe it. And so when we put this word perfect in, and we say that God has a perfect will, it's like, okay, I got to know the right, do I choose A or do I choose B? And it's like God is standing there saying, I'll go with you on either one of those. You pick A or B. Let's go. And we, are, we don't pick either because we're like, I don't know. God, tell me which one I should do. Which one should I do? God, I don't want to displease you. And God's like, well, I've wired you to, to help you. And now, if there's a C, and this book clearly says, don't you see? A and B, line up with this book. Which one do you want, A or B? And we tend not to think of God's will in that way. We think God's got one will, and I just got to find it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. It is God's will by doing good. You should silence the ignorance talk of foolish people. Well, there's God's will. Just do good. Do good this week. That's God's will for your life. See, I believe this book reveals to us that God created human beings to be his partners on the earth to multiply, to fill the earth, to establish his order, to rule and reign on this planet the way that he has designed the planet to operate, to cause the flourishing of all creation. This is what God has designed. Human beings, for most of the story, got it wrong. Jesus comes to the earth to show us how we were supposed to do it from the beginning and to make it possible for us to do it just like he did because by his death and resurrection, he made it possible for us to put faith in him so that the Spirit of God can live in us and you and I can live like he did. That's some good stuff. However, there's another side of God's will in the Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17 says, For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. I, I don't like that part. But can I tell you something? If you want to choose the path of least resistance, don't follow Jesus. Because there are going to be some difficult paths. And if you're... If you have two paths in front of you, I feel like Robert Frost, two, uh, two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the one less traveled by. If you always want to take the one that's going to be better for you, sometimes that road leads us back to Egypt. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. This wilderness stuff, that's a hard choice. I don't want, it. I don't want this. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. What? Yeah, Paul says that you enter the kingdom through many tribulations. What? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I mean, if I'm suffering right now, I, I must be outside the will of God. No, you might be smack dab in where God wants you to be right now. And sometimes people have to bleed in order for the kingdom of God to be released in a certain area. Are we willing to do that? And so those are some of the things that we've wrestled with over these last couple weeks on this journey. So how does God lead us? I think the scripture is full of examples that God leads us directly. Okay? 2 Samuel, it's not on the screen, but 2 Samuel chapter 5, there's a story of King David going to war against the Philistines. And he's going to go to battle, so he prays and he's like, Lord, should I go? And the Lord's like, you should go. You're going to defeat them. He goes. So then, like in the same passage, like one verse later, he has to go to battle against them again. And he's like, Lord, should I go? And it's like, well, didn't you just ask? But he asks again, should I go? And the Lord says, you should go, but this time don't, don't go straight on. Go this way. This book is full of examples like that where the Holy Spirit literally directs and says, go talk to that person. Go do this thing. Go do that thing. So many examples. God wants to lead us directly. Get it. I think he also leads us indirectly. There are many examples throughout the scripture of what we find in 1 Samuel chapter 14. This one's on the screen. Jonathan, 
this is the son of Saul, who was king before David, says to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. They are Philistines, same people that David fought against later on. Perhaps <laughs> the Lord will act on our behalf. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go to battle, I want more than a perhaps the Lord is going to act. I mean, I want to know God is going to step in. But there are countless of examples of men and women throughout the Scripture that have acted on maybe the character of God, the nature of God. They didn't have a direct word from God that they should go do this thing, but it lines up with, with the character of God and who He is and the commission to go into all the world and make disciples. And so, who knows? Maybe the Lord will help. Now, you and I don't like to be led indirectly. We want to know. I mean, I shouldn't speak for you. I want to know. Before I take that first step, God, I want to know that you're going to show up. So I'm not going to step until, until I know for sure. And the problem with that is sometimes you have to step to get the rest. I hate that lesson, I promise you. I want it, I want it, to, be, I want it to be perfect. And it's not always perfect. And so what happens is people all the time will tell me, well, Pastor Tom, I, just, I know that God called me to do this and I, I chose the wrong career path. Pastor Tom, I, I, I married the wrong person. Pastor Tom, I, I made this mistake. I made, here's the thing. I think sometimes we put pressure on ourselves. And here's what I think about marriage. I think you can marry anybody. I mean, I know there are people out there that think there's one person on this planet for everyone, and that's the only person that you should marry. I think you can marry anybody. The idea of compatibility is, an, is a, a Western construct. When I do premarital counseling with people, I sit them down, and they take an exam that shows how their, their two personalities are going are to come together. They think it's a compatibility test. There's no, we're not going to do that. I'm going to show you, based on how you're wired and how they're wired, when you put this together, where are you going to need to work? How are you going to need to adapt in order to communicate, to resolve conflict, to raise children? And then I'm going to put a lot of questions in front of you that you're going to discuss. And you're going to have this conversation about how your personalities are going to come together, and then you're going to decide whether you want to marry this person. And sure enough, because, you know, when we're in love... I have, I've been doing this for 25 years, people. People will sit across the table from me, and they, uh, they go through all the assignments, they do all the stuff, and then later on, they'll come back in like six or seven years, and they'll be like, Pastor Tom, we're having these problems, and she's this, and he's this, and rah. And we'll, I'll pull out their report. Not in a, a mean way, but I remind them, this is what this said. You just either didn't hear me back then, hear them, the report, people way smarter than me, or you just stopped doing what you needed to do to flourish. So you didn't marry the wrong person, you just became the wrong one. Or you stopped being the person you needed to be in that relationship. And that's what happens in our lives. We, we think we've made a mistake and we're outside the will of God. Well, I think God knows all of our choices from the beginning, and He can adapt His will to our lives. You can flourish wherever you are. You don't need to change jobs. You don't need to change churches. You don't need to change your outward circumstances to flourish in the life of God. Now, you might need to change those circumstances. You don't have to. If you cannot flourish where you are, you will not flourish wherever you go. People all the time will, will change spouses and jobs and cities and locations chasing the perfect will of God and they never find it. And other people stay planted all their lives and they find peace that passes all understanding. That's the idea of the will of God. So I want to give you five things really quick. You can just write them down, take a picture of the screen, whatever you want to do. Uh, these are just five things that I think when you are going to discover God's will for your life, you need to take these into account. One, personality and desires matter. How you're wired matters. God has created you with certain giftings and certain uh, leanings and 
character traits. And God has made you in a way that when you want to find God's will for your life, you need to follow your desires. Now, listen. Maturity requires that we keep our desires in check. Some good desires can be taken too far. This book will help us keep our desires in check. Will help because, and here's the thing sometimes finding God's will means I have to like do something outside of what I would desire. That's called maturity. How many of you are parents? You don't always do what you want to do, do you? Sometimes what you want to say to your child, maybe to your spouse, you realize, hmm, if I say that, that will not be productive for any of us. So I have to like take my desire and set it aside and actually do what's right in that situation. So you can't just take one and use one. Oh, personality desires, that's how I find God's will. No, you got to do all of them. Number two, you got to consider the pros and cons. So when, when I talked about marriage, that's what I'm talking about. you got to consider the pros and cons. If I'm going to live with this person in marriage... Here's the pros and the cons. Like, I know that sounds so lovely, doesn't it? <laughs> In fact, I think there's an episode of Friends that, that does that, and it doesn't go well. Um, but what I'm talking about is the idea of counting the cost. Like, if I go to uh, this church, what are the pros and the cons of that? If I go to this job, what are the pros and cons? And not just selfishly, not just what's, what do I get out of it, but how, how are other people going to flourish by my choices? Or how are other people going to be impacted if I don't choose that? Like, what are the pros and cons? When you think of Ananias and Sapphira in the, the, old, or in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5, the money, the land was theirs. Sell it, don't sell it. It's up to you. Like, it's your land. But don't you dare sell it and pretend like you are giving all of it because you want to be seen by people. Like, do, do what you, the pro and con, it's yours. However you want to do it. So that's number two. Number three, listen for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I know that when our desires, I mean, if, when I really want something, I can make the Holy Spirit say anything I want Him to say. Come on, you're with me. Like, and the moment somebody plays the Spirit card, the Lord told me. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Am I going to say the Lord didn't say that? Like, if, if it lines up with this book and uh, if it doesn't contradict this book, I can't say, well, the Spirit didn't say that. And so you want to be led by the Spirit of God, but again, you can't just take one of these. You need all five. Sometimes the Holy Spirit closes doors, and I've watched people kick those doors open. I know, it doesn't go well, does it? I've probably been that guy. And I've watched other times where the Holy Spirit just opens a door and people are like, I don't really want to walk through that. But the Spirit is swinging it wide open. But uh, So we have to be willing to listen to the Holy Spirit. Number four, don't wait for the perfect moment. You cannot... I, sorry, I had another way of saying that, and I wanted to make sure I changed it on the screen because I didn't like the way it sounded. Um, <laughs> now you want to know. I, I, at first I said, don't wait for the stars to align. Um, Okay, so see, uh, yeah, this is a better way. Don't wait. Don't, see, I picked, I did well. Don't wait for the perfect moment. I am so guilty of this all the time. I want, I want to, God, I want to know all 15 steps before I take one. So when the Holy Spirit like opens a door and I, I sit at this open door waiting for like 15 steps and he's like, you're not going to get any more until you walk through the door. Like, you've got to take step one and trust me, and then I'll start showing you other things. Ah, I really don't like that. So you have to learn, and sometimes we're afraid. Uh, what if I make the wrong decision? Adjust, correct. God is not this cruel taskmaster up in heaven saying, oh, you chose wrong. Now you're forever banished from my kingdom. No, he'll, he'll adjust. If you make a wrong choice and you humble yourself before him and say, God, I misstepped here. I have done this. I bought a car once that I knew God told me to walk away from because we had agreed on a price. We sat down. I had my daughter with me. My, my parents had dropped me off and driven away. I was buying the car, and all of a sudden, the price was $400 more than what, what I thought we agreed to. In that moment, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, walk away. 
I'm like, it's 400 bucks. And so we went back and forth. He's like, and he was walking away. He's like, no, I, this is the price. I can't do any better. He's like, here's what I'll do. I'll give you 30 days to come up with the extra $400. Fine, whatever, let's do it. Four months in, the transmission went out on that car. And I'm like, Lord, I'm such an idiot. Like, I knew I should walk away, but I was like, no, my daughter's here. I'd have to call my parents to come back. It just looks weird. I'm not doing it. Or just, bam, right through that closed door. Took it in. I mean, you know, transmissions are not cheap. $1,600. So I'm like, all right, well, we got to fix it. Now I got to swallow that somehow. I kid you not. Within two hours of the bid coming in, a gentleman walked in my office with a check for $1,600 and said, uh, we got an investment return that we weren't expecting. And when I got it, the Holy Spirit said, give it to you. And I just started weeping. I'm like, oh my gosh, because I went through a closed door. Like, I don't deserve for you to help me fix this car. You told me not to buy it. That's the God we serve. When you humble yourself, you don't have to be afraid that you've made the wrong choice. He's going to come, but you've got to humble yourself. All right, number five, listen to a multitude of counselors. Whew, i got to keep moving. Listen to a multitude of counselors. Um, <laughs> just because you have 15 people telling you it's the Lord, if they're all of your friends with the like mind, you're just gathering around yourself people to tell you what your itching ears want to hear. Listen to a multitude of counselors. In the body of Christ, we have apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers. I said them out of order in the scripture, but all of them. Why? Because they all see things from a different perspective. And if a church body is going to be healthy and growing and full of love, the way Ephesians 4 talks about, all of them need to operate. And so if all of you have, like, if I'm a prophet, I tend to just want what other prophets say. I don't want the apostle. Like, no, like, don't ask that guy. Like, he's always going to tell, he's going to tell me bad stuff. I don't want to hear that. Now, you don't have to listen to what some of these other people tell you, but you need to hear it. You need to hear it. You need a multitude of counselors. This is why I believe we need a body of Christ, a local body of believers. If this isn't your body, fine. If you don't like our vision, you don't like who we are, you don't like what we believe or what we do, fine. Go find one. Because you need a body. You need someone that will be these five voices in your head that will help you discover the will of God. I think this is how God designed the church to operate. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. It says it right here. Christ gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ can be built up till we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If we don't have these five groups of people, which I don't believe are just the people that get paid by the church, I believe every one of you that are following Jesus Christ, and even if you're not, you're an apostle, you're a prophet, you're an evangelist, you're a pastor, which is the word shepherd, or you're a teacher. And I think these people exist in the world. I think people that are shepherds work in HR departments all over this nation because they're very pastoral. I mean, I think that there are many evangelists that work in marketing. Why? Because this is how we're designed as human beings to flourish. Now, this works best under the direction of the Holy Spirit in the body of believers. But it works anywhere. This is why people like John Maxwell will take the Bible and they will teach it as business principles and businesses will flourish. They don't know it's the Bible, but it is. It works because this is how the world is designed. We are called to be a body. So in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, our bodies, physical, have many parts. Each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We're many parts of one body. And here's the kicker. We all belong to each other. This doesn't fly in our Western world. I don't belong to anybody. Well, if you're following Jesus, you belong to the person sitting beside you right here. And so I don't get to just make decisions that I think are best. I make decisions that affect the body. And I ask others for help making decisions. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. 
And all of you together are Christ's body, and each one is a part of it. So we've talked about how do we come into relationship with one another? How do we have uh, this body of Christ where we work together, where we flourish together, where we work in the community together, where we establish the kingdom of God in a city? And here's the thing. Just because one church across town does it one way doesn't mean we should do it that way the same. There should be variation in communities in the body of Christ. But I think there should be all of these different parts within each local body. We tend to not, not like to commit to local bodies because, one, there's, then there's a sense of responsibility. Well, you're, you're right. There is responsibility. We've talked about, like, in a natural family, like my family, I have responsibilities. I don't feel called to take out the trash. But you know what? When it's full, I take it out. Why? Because I'm a part of the family. I don't feel called to do dishes. Dear God, I don't feel called to do dishes. Ever! But if the sink is full, I will do them. And I will try to do them with a good attitude. <laughs> but I have a role as a spouse, as a father. And sometimes I do things outside my role because I'm committed to the family. We talked last week, this is a family. And I know in our culture, we think I put my family ahead of church. Well, yeah, you put your family ahead of the institution, and you should never be a part of an organization at the expense of your family. But this body right here, I don't care whether you like it or not, we're family. And if if our relationships with our siblings and our children and our spouse is stronger than our relationships in this room, we ought to start aligning with this. I, and I know it's going to take work to get there, but some of us, we've just written it off. Like, I, I, I'm not even going to try to connect with other people. That's God's will for you. Just a thought. So there's this responsibility that I have when I connect with a body. But there's also a privilege. See, I believe there's privileges beyond even what we're aware of. I believe there's a connection, there's a spiritual benefit, there's a working out of my salvation. I promise you, things have been shaped. I have been in Huron for 25 years at this church this month. 25 years. I don't feel old enough to be here 25 years. I promise you I'm not the same kid that I was 25 years ago. And a lot of that is because of the people I've interacted with in this body. They have helped me grow. They have helped me shape my character and my giftings and my calling. I promise you, there have been days I've wanted to run away from here on. There was even a time I felt like the Lord said, if you go or if you stay, I'm with you. I do. And I picked staying because I was like, no, I want, I, there's still more I need to do here or learn here or be a part of here. And if I move once, I'm going to move again. Now, I've never felt like the Lord was like, go. If he did that, I, I'd be gone. But I think we, a lot of times, are like, well, the Lord, the Lord told me I had to go. When it was just like, no, he opened a door and you chose to go. And it's okay. Like, I have friends that go, have been in like 10 different churches. Praise God for you. Like, it's not like you have to do it my way. It's like, this is what was in my spirit, my heart, and I walked it out. There was a time in our church where I had a staff member that said, the Lord said, you're done. You need to get out of here. Yeah, that was a great season. Um, and I pulled all of our leaders together. And I said, you all need to pray. Because if God is done with me here, I will leave. And every single one of those leaders said, we don't think it's time for you to go. We hope you won't. 20 other leaders. So I followed them and not the one. The one is not here anymore. Okay? So this idea that we got to work this out with one another. So what are these benefits? I want to talk about some physical benefits. Bear with me for just a minute because I want to present them to you. Like we've seen some of them over the last couple of weeks. Remember uh, last weekend, Memorial Weekend, Lorna Albanese and Brad Walls were here. These are sons and daughters of Restoration Church. Brad has been a part of a missions organization. He has developed sending missionaries from Latin America all over the world. Can I tell you, as a current member of Restoration Church, I believe biblically, the way the Apostle Paul talks about partnership in Philippians chapter 1, 
I believe that the seed and the harvest that's taking place through the ministry of Brad Walls is us. It's us. We're connected to it. When you get to heaven, I believe the Lord is going to say, well done. And you're going to be like, I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You prayed. You gave. You connected to that body. And that body was connected to places you didn't even know. I love it. Doesn't that excite anybody but me? And Lorna serves in ministry. Her kids are in ministry. Look at how this multiplies. Praise God, I didn't even have to leave my seat. And all of this stuff got credited to my account. A young lady by the name of Krista Seavers was in our, our, our girls' ministry program years ago. I don't know if you were one that taught her. Um, she just this year graduated from North Central University as a licensed minister in the Assemblies of God. Oh, and I didn't sit in her class. I didn't teach her. But as a member of Restoration Church, I was with that person who did. And I am still with that person who did, even though that person has probably passed on. And yes, that's a part of the benefit of being a part of a local body. You get to watch people grow up. Here's a picture of Patience Linton. You remember Patience Linton? If she's watching, I love you with all my heart. When, when I first hired Patience, um, we did this a lot. We did. She knows. She'll tell you. She grew so much in the time that she was here. I grew a lot. I mean, I'm not saying she was the problem. We just, we had to learn how to do this better in ministry. She has gone on to get her master's degree. She's an ordained minister in the Assemblies of God. I don't even have my master's degree yet. Good for her. The people that they are reaching on social media right now, in the millions, I'm not kidding you, millions. Out of here. And these people will tell you, we're a part of whatever they're doing, wherever they are. I love it. We've missionaries that have gone out from this church. Colleen Jenkins, who works with Chi Alpha in Tampa Bay. Brad Walls in the global impact he has. Brittany Bragg. There's a picture of Brittany on the screen too. Throw up that one. Brittany came to this church when I came to this church. She went to camp with us. It was the first time she was on crutches. Um, I, man... I'm going to try to do this all without crying today. Uh, that will be a miracle. But um, she had been, she went to Bible college. She came back here. She was on staff with us. Uh, I promise you, she taught me so much. Um, she went to Spain as a missionary. She has been in Turkey, in Lebanon. I promise you, there are countless souls coming into the kingdom that are being credited to you, and you didn't even know her. That's the benefit of connecting to a body of Christ. And now you can just sit in the seat and just be like a bump on a log, or you can engage with what's happening around the world as a result of this church and the people whose shoulders we stand on. Because you and I are not here because of us. We're here because of Him, and we're here because of men and women who have gone before us that have made this possible. There's so many unknowns in this. Back in 2016, we started Royal Family Kids Camp. I've got a picture that you can see there. Um, we're, there are countless lives being impacted. We don't even know. We don't even know. And there are some of you that have never been on the grounds of our camp, but you pray for us and you give to it. You're a part of this. And you can be a part of it in so many different ways. We had a youth center. We've taken kids to summer camps. There's some summer camp pictures it takes, here's what I found, for God to break through in a moment in somebody's life, generally there are years of faithful sowing and watering. People willing to go to camp. People willing to teach Sunday school. People willing to be in kids ministry. People willing week after week after week after week teaching without seeing any fruit, without, without even questioning whether or not that kid is hearing, but believing that God is working. And today, souls are being changed and brought into the kingdom because of men and women like that all around the world. That's some good stuff. Here's another girl by the name of Selena Cipher. I love this one. I mean, I love all of them. I mean, I had to pick and choose, and I'm like, oh God, I don't know how to pick and choose. This one came to mind. She's not in ministry. This, this girl is a pastor. 
if I've ever known a pastor. She has a shepherd's heart like nobody I've ever met before. And in, in ministry, we celebrate, oh yeah, we've had 22 ministers from, from this church that are in full-time ministry, and we have six missionaries around the world that grew up in this church, and praise God for that, I'm not trying to belittle it. But we have countless nurses and doctors and accountants and teachers all around this world making an impact for people and building the kingdom of God. And that gets credited back to us too because people sowed week after week after week. When I reached out to Selena, she said, you know, having the youth center on Friday nights meant so much to me. It was a place to belong. It was a place to grow. Mm. Do you know how many Friday nights we didn't even want to show up? And yet it's made an impact. Let me tell you a little bit about Selena. Here's a picture of her family right now. She doesn't technically work outside the home, but she is a bus driver and an emergency contact for all of her friends' kids. Most days she has three to eight extra kids with her. Next year, all those kids are going to be in school, so she might go back to work. Her husband, Tommy, has been in the service. He's been in the military for 17 years. He's a senior chief. He's getting ready to deploy for the last time, and he'll retire in three years. So she does all of this with a husband who gets deployed often. She's a rock star. She's got three kids of her own. Cora is eight. Cora enjoys swimming and reading and playing the piano. Charlie Charlie is seven. And she has spastic quad cerebral palsy. She loves to race with Ainsley's Angels. And she will be doing her first marathon at the end of this month. How do you do this? How do you live this life with that in your house? Like, that's hard. And she doesn't let it stop her. With, with a handicapped child, a husband deployed, I'm not in full-time ministry. Can I tell you? There is stuff happening in the kingdom that gets credited back to us, and I don't even feel like we deserve it. I told her that. I'm like, man, you are a rock star. I don't even think we deserve that. She's like, no, you made a difference in my life. One of my favorite stories of this girl when she was, I believe, eight years old, maybe? Eight years old? She went fishing, and she won money. It was the year Kedrick was born, and he was in the neonatal unit in Sioux Falls. And they invited me for lunch. Christy was in Sioux Falls with Kedrick. I had to come back for service. And I came back. Um, they invited me to lunch because she wanted to give me her award money. <laughs> she has such a shepherd's heart. We need people that will train and raise up missionaries ministers, yes. But we need someone that will say, you know what? You may not be in full-time ministry, but you are making the kingdom impact. And we're going to sow in your life week after week, week after week, week after week. Why does it matter that we have a, a planning schedule and somebody needs to be on these ministries down here every week and someone needs to be in that room? Why does it matter? This is why it matters. And there is a benefit for people that will do this. I got one last person. By the way, Dale, I'm glad you're here today because Dale and Monica, man, they were such a part of me even being the pastor of this church. I, th I know it was Monica that was like, well, why can't you be the pastor and the youth pastor? I'm like, because no one ever does that. She's like, well, why not? Think outside the box. God can do whatever he wants. She's so good. So Ivan and Tilly Walls, we've talked about. Marvin and Joyce Hines, we highlighted at the beginning of the service. Virginia Hofer. Virginia Hofer. Virginia, many of you didn't know her. Her husband, Kenneth, died just a few years into their marriage. He was killed tragically. He worked for the railroad. She taught school in St. Paul, Minnesota. She taught school uh, at James Valley Christian School. She served our children at, at First Assembly of God back what it was called then. She was a grandma to our kids. Can I tell you something? She week after week, until she could no longer physically do it, she served our kids at Restoration Church. When she died, a widow, not very rich, she left an endowment. Today, every quarter, we get a check in the mail, $300 to $400, that we funnel directly into our kids' ministry, teen ministry, kid ministry, 
Virginia Hofer is still getting a reward in heaven, not only for the, the children she impacted, but for the money she's sowing into a generation, and she's been gone for five years. This is, what it, this is what it looks like to live different. It's not about what I do right now. It's, I can make an impact even when I'm not here anymore. So if your kids are in our kidsmen or in our teen ministry right now, <laughs> when you get to heaven, find her and thank her because she is still sowing seed in those lives. And so at Restoration Churches, we've talked about vision. What does it look like? What's our church about? Who are we? Uh, man, we are a weird church. And I, for years, I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't understand what vision looks like. Could you help me? And now I wish I could say, Lord, I don't want to know what vision looks like. I found a picture, by the way, of what vision feels like. There's a, there's a picture. That's what vision feels like. Because here's the thing. We sold our building. We're trying to buy a, a building in a downtown area. Like, we want to have a, a, a place where we have a building that serves this community. We want to have a community center for kids or teens or families. And we want to use it where we worship on Sunday, but where the rest of the week it does ministry outside of us, where it, it just benefits the city. Who does that? Here's what I found. Lots of churches around the country are starting to do this. I didn't even know it existed. This is how the Assemblies of God does missions work all over the, na all over the world, just not in the States. I mean, in the States, we're taught you've got to do church this way. You've got to have a building that me meets your needs. What if we have a building that meets our community's needs and we just use it on Sunday to worship together? Amen. Praise God! That's like crazy stuff there. So you know what we did? We found, show them the picture of 204. We found this building downtown. I circled this thing hundreds of times, prayed around it, really felt like God was calling us there. But I promise you, as we went through this, people were like, you really feel like this is God's will? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just stepping out. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not saying, yes, you've got to vote this way or you're outside of God's will or no, you don't. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just saying pray and we'll see. One time when I was circling this building, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, or my flesh, or the devil, I don't know which one. I really don't to this day. But they, I heard this voice that said, what if you circle this building and you never buy it? Will it have been a waste of your time? And I did a couple more laps around the building, and I'm like, what? It, what? And finally, something within me said, No! Because the way I have grown, the way I have changed, the way our church body has grown, like if we never buy that piece of property, it's not a waste of time. And so I promise you, for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to talk more about this next week, I've kind of been stuck when it comes to vision. Like, did God really want us to buy a building downtown? Like, should we like look for property somewhere else where all of our needs, where we can be comfortable um, and last week I had an encounter with three different people on three different days that they don't even know each other. Brad Walls, Kevin Peterson, and Jim Johnson. Three people, three different communities, three different times. And both of them basically gave me a kick in the pants without even knowing it, where the Holy Spirit was like, stop waiting for all the pieces to connect and start walking. <sighs> you know, you think you'd learn that lesson. So here's what I'm doing. Last thing I want to tell you. Remember these books? This is a 40-day devotional. There are copies of this available in the back. Some of you still have yours. I have been through this. Um, I went through this with Bob Glanzer. I went through this with James Valley Christian School. I've been through this 12 times. We're going to go through it again. So starting July the 5th, since we're already praying for our nation from now through July 4th every day, starting July 5th, we're going to start going through this again. And we're going to be praying for what God wants to do, where vision is. Uh, I want to encourage you to be a part of House of Prayer. I've started taking prayer walks again downtown. I don't know why I ever stopped. Has God called us to, to be downtown? I think yes. Uh, if you ever want to hear the rest of the story, I'll sit down with you and tell you the story. It's way too long to talk about now. I've already gone too long. There's so many ways that God has shown himself faithful through all of this. I think yes. Am I right? I don't know. Uh, who knows? Maybe God will help. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Pray. 
pray with us and figure out with us what is God calling us to do as a church body. So again, as you go through this week, I want you to begin to pray, vision for our church, continue to pray for our nation. The, four, the 30 days of prayer that we're doing, those prayer guides are available out on the table. All of this information, don't rush out. Lots of stuff by the table. I'll be out there in a minute. If you've got questions for me, I'll answer more. But remember the question, how do I stay at the table of intimacy, communion, and connection? Don't lose sight of that question as we keep talking about this journey that we're on as Restoration Church. And so, Father, I thank you today for this body. God, this current body of believers that, that stand on the shoulders of men and women that we didn't even know. God, I thank you for the ones we've highlighted today. And I just pray blessing over each and every one of them. God, thank you for the kingdom work they're doing around the world that we're a part of. God, thank you for the privilege of partnership, to be able to work with them, to build your kingdom. And God, it, it feels like they're doing more than us, but in the kingdom, those who stay with the stuff and those who go get the same reward. And God, we're grateful to be a part of what you're doing. And I pray, open our eyes. Forgive us for where we have become short-sighted. And I pray, open the eyes of our understanding and our hearts. God, give us vision for what you want to do right now in Restoration Church. Give us the strength, the endurance we need to be those faithful men and women that serve week after week, sowing seed, watering seed. God, without, without seeing any harvest right now, knowing that you are continuing to work and that you will be faithful to finish the work you've started in all of us. And so God, continue to help us understand this as we walk it out over the next few weeks, the next few months, the next years until you return. Help us to be found faithful to you. God, I pray for those that are struggling today to know your will. Holy Spirit, I pray that these words today were an encouragement to them in some way to just begin to step out into what you're calling them to do. Holy Spirit, release a spirit of faith over every one of their hearts. I pray give clear direction where direction is needed and give faith where a step needs to be taken for more direction to come. And so, Father, thank you for the partnership that's here. I pray your blessing over each one that's here today, that's watching online, that's a part of this service today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow. Did you feel like you drank from a fire hose today? I apologize. It's my gift. Um, I have the ability to overwhelm you with information. Praise God. Pray for me. And then I won't overwhelm you so much. But I want to encourage you, stop by the table. Stop laughing. I want to encourage you, stop by the table in the lobby before you leave for the information we've talked about. If you've got questions for me and you, you don't want to ask them today, shoot me a text, an email, Facebook message, however you want to communicate. But uh, offering baskets are out there again. If you want to par partner with us with our global partners, we encourage you to do that. Uh, Faith Promise cards are there as well. Thanks for being here. God bless you as you go today.